welcome to another episode of Footnotes. And today we're talking to Dr. Jack Neal, who's the co-founder and CEO of Hank AI. Jack has a lot of things that are that are interesting in his life, but one of them is he went to medical school, was a practicing physician, and then decided to become an entrepreneur. We also talk about his company, Hank AI, and what they're doing to help solve a lot of problems in healthcare that you don't necessarily see when you're visiting your doctor. But then we get into probably the more interesting part of the conversation, which where we cover things like the need for coaching, swimming upstream, and about self-branding. In other words, the being known for knowing stuff. And I love the way that Jack kind of has put these things together in his business career. And I think you're gonna get a lot from this. Check it out. Jack, thanks for uh, joining us on Footnotes. We're here with Dr. Jack Neal, who's the founder and CEO of Hank AI. And you guys are, um, you know, sort of in the medical technology space. And I'll just let you kind of just take it from there. So what what is Hank AI? Yeah, so um, we're super, you know, Technology is super nerdy, so I uh, won't get into the too too deep in the nitty gritty of it. But um, at the top level, you know, we're focused on reducing occupational screen time and putting the interactions back in, you know, people's lives at work and other places. So in healthcare, it's obvious when your provider never looks you in the eye. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they're clicking buttons, and it starts with a lot of the financial part underneath. So we we're focused initially on auto, you know, automating as <clears throat> excuse me automating automating and augmenting as much as we can underneath such that we can put the eye contact back in healthcare. So is, is this necessarily like part of the patient experience when they're with their care provider, or this is kind of more of the, the, the back? It's the back, yeah. It's underneath the, the healthcare system, so it's not patient-facing. Okay. So what about that uh, sort of needed to be fixed? Or, or what, it, what, it, what ex- more exactly, what are you guys addressing on that? So, you know, the cost of healthcare, you know, the main issues with healthcare, I think in this country at least, is cost is number one. Number two is quality and other things. And a lot of the cost is redundant, repetitive, you know, administrative tasks, just inefficient things. So really focusing on that first is where our technologies kind of are being applied. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> in our technologies, we say they organize, automate, and uh, accelerate the customers we work with. So they organize their data, they automate processes based off of it, and then they allow, and in different industries and others to accelerate the care provided or accelerate the, the business that we're working with. So we're not just in healthcare, but that's where we started and where most of our focus is on sales right now. But we've actually got large pilots with places outside of that um, hmm. using our data extraction technology and platform. So before you're an entrepreneur, you're actually a medical doctor. You know, it's not a PhD, you have an MD. Correct. Um, what was it like to transition from sort of the world of medicine that I think most people would think, hey, it's a good stable, you know, source of employment. You know, you, you can you can can make a lot of money depending on kind of how that's set up. Why why sort of leave what a lot of people sort of dream about to go into something that sometimes just produces nonstop nightmares? Yeah. Well. <clears throat> yeah, running a company is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> well, like building a product is what I love. So. Um, so, you know, I was a computer information systems undergrad first, um, you know, okay. I was a tech guy, programming my whole life. And, um, you know, medicine just came after the dot-com bubble busted and um, I couldn't get a job at 19 in 2003 doing IT. So um, I decided to go into medicine. My plan was to be a pediatrician, move back home, have a nice stable job. Um, but definitely my mind wasn't ready, <laughs> wasn't cut out for that. So uh, then it kind of shifted once I got into medical school, which 
by the grace of God, somehow that happened. Um, you know, the whole time I was programming and developing things and, okay. and, and healthcare is so broken from um, the infrastructure and the technology and interoperability and, you know, the fact that your provider spends two thirds of their time clicking buttons. There's so much opportunity there to improve the technology that mm -hmm. it actually is just a perfect fit to kind of um, innovate in that space. And so I'm just doing what I love, you know, by making products that solve things that stink about healthcare, yeah. primarily. And so how long have you been at um, Hank AI? How, how long has that been in existence? So three years, we started in 2019. Um, we started with kind of an idea around a technology and then tried to figure out where to apply it. So it really was around a new way to do reinforcement learning, a lot of, again, nerdy stuff. Um, and then we figured out where to apply it in revenue cycle first. And so that was on a flight back from AI Med in London and I specced out the whole stack and then we raised some money and got started. So you took an airplane ride or on an airplane ride home, sort of back of the napkin, you just specced out what Hank AI was going to become? Notebook, but yeah. Okay, similar. notebook. Yeah, it was in a notebook. But. <laughs> how, how much does your company now resemble what was in that notebook? Um, I mean, the tech, you know, I, I, what I've had to learn is the sales side of, of, of running a business. I'm more of the, naturally, I'm the product side. I'm like, build the cool thing, make an excellent product, solve a big problem. And then, like, who's going to pay for it, how are they going to pay for it, and how are you going to scale it is sort of, you know, something that I'm still learning to this day. Was that a surprise for you as an entrepreneur to, you, know, you kind of naturally think about this product and making it great and something people oh, want. Yeah. <clears throat> and what about sort of selling the company, if you will? What, mm -hmm. what was... God, yeah, I've always, you know, it's always like, hey, if you solve a big problem, they will come, right? right. But, but it's not, you know, typically, and I, I think what I've learned is that the tech, your tech doesn't sell right? It's hmm. how you sell your tech. So like you can make the best widget, you can make the best technology, the most advanced algorithms, whatever. And that's all cool, but it's not going to sell itself. And it's not even going to differentiate you really. It's how you, how you work on relationships, how you're going to apply that back into a human in the loop in this space when you're doing augmented stuff. How do you apply, how do you put a human back with it? Because it's never automated. Mm -hmm. It's always augmented, you know, automate 20% and the person does some. So I think that human-centered design you know, I didn't appreciate how important the non-technical aspects of sales were um, until we started selling and you realize, you know, tech doesn't sell itself mm -hmm. really ever. Well, and maybe this fits into where we are in the conversation, but I know in, in sort of our, our conversation before this to, to, to set this interview up, I, there was there were a couple of things that you mentioned that I, that I want to get into. And so I think we've got a, a way to get into one of those now, but um, you talked about learning about self-branding Mm -hmm. Does self-branding sort of play a role in what you were talking about, kind of that non-technical aspect of, of yeah. selling a, a product? I think it does, yeah. I mean, our current, we still don't have, we, we have relationships with business dev people, but we don't have on, on our payroll a full-time business dev or salesperson. We kind of hmm. take that on on our executive levels through our, relation, through our network and relationships. And it's why, you know, in the current environment of raising capital and you look at like how effective you are and your customer acquisition costs compared to the lifetime value of the customers. I mean, ours is 24, which <laughs> was crazy high. It just means that like, it probably means we, <laughs> it's not a good thing, right? It's like a company paying a 20% dividend. It's actually a bad thing. It means they're not investing in growth. Ours means we need to hire more salespeople, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. to get there, to get going, you can either burn cash up front or you can build that relation, build relationships and work. And that helps for multiple things, including, you know, in, investments, right? If you're starting, you need angel investors. Right. How are you going to make that happen? It's going to be the decades of, or maybe 
hopefully not decades, but years of relationships you've built and all the, you know, the footwork you've done, going to local meetings, going to regional meetings, just um, talking to people. And so I think that's very important. And then if you can get yourself into positions where you're known for knowing things, where you're a speaker or you're an educator, maybe not in academia, but just, you know, and have a platform, you know, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, or an in-person type of speaking, you start to have your own personal brand, which helps a lot whenever you're starting into the sales process. That's interesting the way you put it about being known for knowing things. Um, how did you begin that process? I talk a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's probably mostly it. Um, but no, I mean, I just, you know, I like people. I like talking to people. I like, you know, conversations. Um, you know, I just enjoy that. It's, it's something that, um, you know, I guess some, some people might not, um, but I do. And so it's it works out well. Um, end up having a pretty wide network of people I know all over the place because of it. So you know, just be scrappy. And I just, just always don't be scared to talk to anybody. Be, you know, Talk to anybody you can about any about what you're doing, what they're doing. Just you never know where it goes. You have no agenda. Just meet people, talk to people. How how do you you said don't be afraid to, to talk to anyone? Um, what, were you always that way? I mean, ha, has that always been the case for you, where it was just more natural to just go up to someone and start talking about Hank AI? Well, yeah, professionally, yeah, with girls it was never. <laughs> Like, I was scared, you know, I was always scared. Like, I'm happily married, a beautiful, lovely angel wife, so it's nothing to do with that. But um, yeah, somebody introduced us, I think, because I was too scared. But in business, yeah, I don't, I have no fear. I just I feel like if I, you know, if I talk to a CEO of a company, they could be huge. And if they don't like me, like what we're doing, that's fine. They're not the right fit. And there'll be a new CEO there in a couple of years. And then it's not like one and done. I think that was always my issue with girls. Like, she was the one, maybe she was it. And now it'll never happen. Mm. Whereas like with business, it's not the same. It's more like that's a rotating door there at that business. There's more businesses. Like, I don't know, I'm not scared at all. Yeah. I have no fear of rejection in well, that's Well, that probably fits with capital providers. I mean, it's not just yeah, sort of investment. selling your yeah. product, but, but but potential investors, right. uh, speaking engagements, all kinds of stuff. It hurts. I mean, it still sure. hurts when people, especially if you get your hopes up. So I try to never, you know, don't get your hopes up. Don't put your eggs in one basket. You know, even if you've got a best friend who promised you capital or whatever it was, like just, you know, appreciate that. Keep keep working your thing, right? Keep don't 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 say, oh, I'm I'm betting that, you know, John's gonna invest in, you know, if he, if he he's he's giving us the money we need to get started. And then like yeah, he gets a little squirmish on it and then like you're screwed, right? Don't do that. So constantly be be working that. Um that's something that I I always do. And if they tell you no, ask for their friends, right? So if you if they say, ah, oh, we're not the right fit, oh we only do series A or whatever it is, say, okay. Well, can you introduce me to three people who might be a good fit, right? And always get something out of it. it okay, so I was going to say, like, I mean, how many people, you know, that sounds like one of those things that someone would say. It's like, hey, I get rejected and I ask for, for three more opportunities. But have you found that people are, are generally willing to do that? I'd say at least half the time, yeah. Okay. And, and it hurts nothing to ask. They're not going to remember you as any crappier of a person for having asked, so you might as well. Right. Um, and, you know, it's... it's um, well, and y'all can edit this out if I can't say this, but, um, you know, my, my brother-in-law runs a, a big tech company and he always said, um, he said, you know, you're the, you know, you as the founder of an early company, like you're the ugly dude approaching a pretty girl at a bar, right? And how do you get, you know, how, how do you get a pretty girl at a bar, right? It's not like how you dress or what you say. Sure, you should try to do all that stuff great, but really it's in the law of numbers, right? You talk to a lot of pretty girls. 
and one one you're gonna win right and it's and if she doesn't say do you have any friends who might like me right and it's the same thing with venture when you're going after capital take that same approach like don't be scared to ask because the number of times you ask is completely related to how often you're gonna get a yes okay so along those lines and, and we also talked about this and and, and you you've sort of hinted around at this but swimming upstream was was a theme that we talked about in that conversation, and and even kind of going back to something you said earlier about hey I, I you know graduated school I, I just decided to go to medical school and maybe it was sort of a place to hide out, but it also you know gave you opportunity for employment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but then you you went against the grain and became an entrepreneur. Talk, what does swimming upstream mean to you, and how has that been just important? In your in your career, yeah, I think I think the easiest way to explain it is it kind of started with um, my dad, right? I think so much is rooted in how you were raised. Some of it's genetic, and some of it's raising, and that's why I, I I believe that you know help the more we can do to young, you know, in that prime time of life, you know, in the high school at time, that's when people are the most impressionable around what they're going to end up doing. You have these moments, and like I just remember my dad one day we're playing ping pong, and he whooped my tail every time we played, beat me. And I was always like, let me win, let me win. And he said, no, because the day you beat me is the day you need a new ping pong partner. And so it was basically, you know, once you've gotten where you're going, once you're the best at something, like, are you going to sit there or are you going to keep going, right? And it's always keep going, right? Always find a new challenge, never be done. And so I think for me, that's sort of the swimming upstream model. It's like, you know, never settle in, right? There's more to be done. There's more work to be done. There's more to be accomplished, you know? Um, once you've reached somewhere, we're next, we're next, we're next. Like, keep growing personally and professionally. Same thing with the company, keep growing. Um, just never get comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're losing the race. 100% of the time, no one's run a marathon and been, un- been comfortable. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to win something, it's gotta be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So keep pushing, so I don't know. It's a long, long, long-winded answer to a simple question, but. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, we're in this world of, of content and media and, and people sort of get interviewed for, for doing great things. And, and you, you guys have done some really cool stuff, but I think it's said a lot about, you know, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, I think sometimes people listen to that think that's easier. That's just something that people say. You know, it's just kind of one of these almost like a throwaway thing. And again, this is kind of a cynical viewpoint, mm-hmm. but, I, but I mean, I don't know, it's 2022. There's a lot of cynicism mm-hmm. out there. Uh, it's, it's kind of our, it's our national export, it seems like. But <laughs> um, can, you, can you get it? I don't want to say talk to that person, you know, who, who needs that encouragement, but, but talk to that person that, that's kind of listening right now and is thinking like, ah, oh, it's just something people say. I mean, how has that really benefited you? Yeah, I think if, you know, everybody, this might, might not be the best way to answer this, but, you know, everybody can't be a billionaire. If everybody's a billionaire, then everything's more expensive and nobody's a billionaire, right? You've got to be unique, right? You have to do something other people aren't doing or you're not gonna be worth anything more than what everybody is. And so if that's your goal, then I mean, plenty, there needs to be plenty of people's goals, right? Is to be comfortable and, you know, but if, if you're driven, you know, if you're trying to, to grow a company or, or grow professionally or a relationship, whatever, whatever you're trying to grow in and as a person, I think you have to realize that if you're comfortable, you're gonna settle in with the masses and that's fine probably for certain things. I mean, never be fine for me. <laughs> that's why I'm weird. But um, I, I think you just you have to be uncomfortable if you're going to get ahead. You're going to have to push harder than most if you're going to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just, you know, walking the race with everybody else. And that might be fine. Um, 
But if that's not what you, where you want to end up, that's where you're going to end up if you don't push. Another thing that we talked about, and again, uh, you're doing a great job, by the way, of setting these things up. Um, so you're you're pushing. You're you're not settling for sort of that that common experience or or sort of that that um, um, sort of what everyone else is doing, if you will. Or oh, you know, Jack, you, you've already done so much. Like, why don't you just kind of coast coast for a while and enjoy it? Um, you talked about coaching specifically like an, an external person or may, maybe even a group of people at times but that are that are working with you that that know you that that understand you and are maybe providing some of that external challenge you know it seems like you, you've got some some determination on your own some some ambition that like you said was maybe part of that that nurturing process of, of growing up but you you were telling me you're seeking that out from other people through coaching why? What What have you gotten from that? How did you find a coach? What made you think you needed one in the first place? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the most self-aware thing, I don't know how this happened, but um, the self-awareness to know you can't be self-aware without someone <laughs> else, right? Like, it's, it's almost impossible to be, because you have to tell yourself things every day to keep yourself up. You have to look in the mirror and say, I'm the best at my job. I'm the smartest, whatever words you need to use of, to, to make yourself go. But you have to do that for yourself, but it, it's not really true, right? And so if you do that to keep yourself going, you kind of need something else out there that makes sure you're paying attention to reality. Now, I still want to live this world of my, I think I'm the smartest person in every room, I'm the most confident, all those, I want to live that because that makes me scared of nothing, right? But I have to be humble too, or else I'm just a jerk, right? So I think that was a big part of why I, I know there's an issue if, there's an issue if I just stay in this confident spot and I need the speaker of truth spot. And mm. it really happened. Um, I listened to a bunch of Audible books because I can't really read. So I listen, I can read, but I can't pay attention. So I listen to Audible while I run or do other things. And um, the Trillion Dollar Coach about Bill Campbell. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of as I read that book. Um, that's a great book, by the way. If you're listening to this, you haven't read Trillion Dollar Coach. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And the only problem is then you'll want to Bill Campbell and Bill Campbell's not alive anymore. So you'll be sad. But um, so uh, it was actually, I think it's Jay Bigelow up in North Carolina, the uh, CED uh, Council on Economic Development. One day he reached out and said, how can we help you? I was living in North Carolina at the time. Um, and I just told him, I said, I need a Bill Campbell. Like, I mean, I, I need a Bill Campbell. I need that guy who speaks truth to me, who like, you know, keeps that humble side, keeps that you know, keeps that self-awareness and forces me to, to maintain some reality in my sort of channel vision of where we're going. Um, and so he introduced me to a guy um, up in North Carolina who, you know, had run a couple public companies and been working with him for, you know, two years, two and a half years now. So, um, you know, just, it's like a, it's, you know, it, it sounds like there's no magic to it, right? It's really just, you, we speak every other week and just talk about whatever's troubling me or hard, or um, he asks tough questions and it just, yeah. I, 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 it helps me tremendously to have that. What about, you know, someone's listening to this and they say, oh, I've, well, I've got a couple of good friends that keep me humble, they keep me grounded, they keep me, you know, connected to something that, that's kind of outside of what I'm doing. Um, would you say that's the same thing or, or this, this these coaches that you pursued, are, are they different than sort of that close group of, group of friends? Yeah. I mean, those people love you, and that's a problem. So, um, Okay, why I is mean, that a problem? I mean, it's great. 
That's why they're your friends. But it's a problem because they're your friends, right? And to have truly a, you know, an agnostic friend who, you know, is going to speak truth to you even though it hurts. We all think our friends do that, and we might have friends who do it in certain situations. But um, are they going to like tell you, you know what? That's a stupid idea. Like starting that company is a stupid idea. Hiring that person, like they're going to more want to know what you think and then kind of support you. It's just it's just natural. So I mean, sure. again, it's not a rule of thumb. You might have a person, but in general, I, I I would I don't I have lots of good friends that I talk stuff out with, but it's different, right? Mm-hmm. They're my support network, not my, you know, Jack you're an idiot network. And I need that network. <laughs> do do the coaches that that you interact with, I mean, is it always where they're pointing out negatives? I mean, what- I ask them to. Okay. I mean, I I do ask for um, and I seek out people who are not yes men or women, you know, because, you know, if you if you surround yourself with too much of that, I mean, I'm I'm a confident, headstrong person. Like, we'll run all together face first off a cliff, right? So I want, I need people that'll be like, that's a cliff. Like, yeah, don't, maybe we want to slow down a little. And, you know, I need that no people in my life. So I intentionally seek that out, even though it kind of sucks at times. But um, it's needed to counterbalance the aggressive forward thinking. What are the, now that you've experienced this, and, and clearly it seems like you, you've benefited from it um, personally, and that kind of spreads out into other areas of your life, but what are those attributes of a good coach? You know, if someone's thinking about like, okay, I'm hearing this guy talk about it. I've been thinking about it myself. I want to start taking some action. What, what would you say that a person should look for in a coach? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because I think the number one thing you need is someone you can have a relationship with that you know, not a friend type, but one that you you trust, respect, like all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit, sometimes the same person, you know, you might not hit it off. So there's a so little of that. Would you say that they need to have some experience that you would like to get? Or is that all? So for me, mm-hmm. you know, my, per- and I just think this could be different for other people. For me, I want someone who has experienced something similar to me that when they say something, it's not coming from, I read some books and I know stuff. It's literally, I lived that. Right. Gotcha. I know what it's like to have a four-year-old in my house and be starting a company or like those types of things, right? Somebody that can associate with me because what I'm looking for anytime it's a coach or, you know, times I've talked to performance psychiatrists and stuff, but I'm always looking to be led. It's like a preacher. Right? You hmm. try to find a church where you, the preacher leads you. You don't try to say, I wonder if I wonder if they read that Bible verse or interpreting right. No, I want to be just led in those situations. I want to let down all of my thinking and all of my normal jack stuff, and I just want to be led. And so finding that, I think sometimes it takes a minute to find that person that you feel led by, that you you trust, that I don't need to dissect every word they say. If they say, Jack, you need to spend more time at home, I don't be like, well, but no, I'm just, okay, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that's the most important part in the coach is that I don't try to dissect their words, that I just let them lead me, um, which is, you know, just might take some trial and error. That's really interesting because I think a, a, a lot of people that might be listening to this are probably similar to you or interested in similar things. And, and that aspect of being led seems so counter to almost the entrepreneur experience. It's like, no, I'm the leader. I'm the one making decisions. I know best. I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm ready. I'm the fundraiser. I mean, I, 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 I. Right. But it seems like in this case, y- you've experienced sort of the, the backseat 
right. part of it, or, or being a passenger. It's a very, yeah, it's, it's sort of a release almost, right? You can't mm. control, if you try to control everything in your life, especially as you get busier and busier, or you're running something larger and larger, it's exhausting. Mm. And so anything in life that I can relinquish, right, as I learn to like delegate things and not micromanage things and control everything, trying to find ways to relinquish certain things and be led, I think is just a very relaxing, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to keep you up from losing your mind <laughs> a mm -hmm. little bit. Do you encourage, uh, throughout your organization, do you encourage uh, other members of your team to seek out coaching? Is that something that, that you think about or is that kind of more right now where for you and where you're at? Yeah, I think right now it's more for me. We, we do have um, sort of a psychologist that we sort of have on staff that people could talk to. Um, I don't get involved. I don't actually know how much people use her or not, but um, there is such a person that, you know, we can we can use, it's paid for to use when people need to. Um, See, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure on the utilization of that um, at the moment, but, you know, I, I think it just depends on the person and where you are and how stressed you are and how much, you know, is on your shoulders. And um, so if anybody ever asked me, I'd, I'd help. But um, currently, I think I'm probably the only person gotcha. in our company. Okay. Well, Jack, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, thank you for sitting down with us and, and talking about these things. Um, where can people find you online or, or find your company online? Twitter, Elon's Twitter. Um, <laughs> so uh, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, um, not on Facebook, because that's for the devil. Um, and um, mostly that, or go to our website and my email's on there. And your website is? is Hank.ai. Hank.ai. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for sitting down and sharing some of this stuff, especially, you know, the, the things you were talking about, about, you know, swimming upstream and, and being challenged by a coach. Um, I, I think that's something that a lot of people maybe sense, but it's not really talked about. It's just about, hey, how successful are you? How amazing are you? How seemingly easy were these things? But I think you, you've helped kind of pull some of the cover off of that, that maybe it's not sort of what it's cracked up to be. We all know that to be true, but it's just, uh, it's not the most fun to talk yeah. about. And like stick with it. I think my my sort of the, the most important thing, if you've got an idea, is like the longer you stick with it, the more committed you are to it. First, it helps you with your commitment level to this idea. Um, I would highly recommend people not raise capital until you are quite committed to the mm. idea because they may have terrible ideas. I have a million ideas, right? So like um, I've had projects, you know, many, many different things I've produced over the years, but this was the first time we went for capital because this was the one. So if you're a if you're person, if you're an idea person like me, typically you like writes code and does stuff. Is it and it's cool. Like stick with when you find the one, stick with it, work it, believe in it, ask a bunch of people, right? Yeah, but that stick to itness, that grit is going to be what you know investors are looking for. It's what employees are looking for when you go to hire. It's it's incredibly important to you know stick with it once you've got the idea. So. You mean it's not the slick slide presentation they're looking for? <laughs> no. And 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 if you if you come back every four months to an investor or a friend or someone with a different idea that you're thinking about starting, at some point you've lost all credibility that you're ever going to actually do anything. So be careful. <laughs> I speak that personally because yeah. I'm that guy if I'm not careful. It sounds like we need another conversation at some <laughs> point on like how, how do you know when it's the one you know idea edition you know or something. I don't know that answer, okay. but. <laughs> You just know. <laughs> well, thanks again for sitting down with us, and I uh, just wish you much success. Thanks, John.